Welcome to the True Story London podcast. I'm Michelle Toth. In this podcast, we listen to a true personal story told live at one of our shows in London, followed by a conversation with the storyteller about their background, process, story themes, and more. Today's storyteller is Joe Melick, sharing his adventures in helping his friend and doppelganger to stage a proposal in the Welsh countryside. It's a funny, risky, highly entertaining story, and afterward I'll talk with Joe about how he came to storytelling, what drives us to take risks, and we'll look closer at story structure and craft. But first, let's listen to Joe's story, recorded live at 21 Soho. So there I was, trouserless, in a river, in the middle of Wales, holding a bag full of rose petals and candles above my head, uh, thinking, how on earth has it come to this? (laughs) Um, Well, to answer that question, we need to jump back a month uh, to the back of a New York cab. I was there visiting uh, my best friend, uh, who also happens to be called Joe. We met at university where we went to the same college and studied the same course and had loads of other stuff in common. We quickly became very good friends. Just to give you an idea, a measure of the man, the night before our final exam, I was uh, completely lost. I did not understand the subject. I did not understand the topic. Um, I was an absolute mess. And Joe dropped into the library where I was preparing for an all-nighter and saw me in this state. And despite the fact that he was all ready to go to bed and get a good sort of eight hours sleep before the final exam of his university career, um, he stayed there and he helped me understand it. And he helped me pass that exam. He helped me pass my degree. Joe was coming to the end of uh, six months in the US and he was looking forward to getting home more than anything because he missed his girlfriend Cara and it was in the back of that New York cab that he told me that the first thing he was going to do when he got back home was to take her to his parents little cottage in Wales and to propose to her. Fantastic news I said how exactly are you going to do it? Well, um, I wasn't thinking anything too grand, maybe uh, some rose petals and candles. <laughs> but I don't know how to set up this scene, you know, keep her distracted while I'm doing it. Well, I said, <laughs> I know that your cottage is in the middle of nowhere and I don't have a car, but there's a train station a few valleys over and I do like a little Sunday afternoon hike. So I can just like waltz on over and while you're taking her out to dinner, set it all up and disappear like a thief in the night. So easy, so simple. And so the mission was born. Flash forward a month of supply buying and route planning and I was in the midst of the most important hike of my life. Well, the night before Joe had phoned me, Turned out they'd arrived at his parents' cottage and found the roof half collapsed. <laughs> Luckily, a nearby B&B had space and had even agreed to the proposal plan, but it was a few miles further for me to walk. <laughs> Not an auspicious start. The next problem was the bridge, or rather the lack of bridge. <laughs> 
very near the start of the hike, I needed to cross what the maps assured me would be a tiny little river and, you know, there are bridges anyway. Anyway, I arrived to find a quite deep, very slippery and absolutely freezing stream with no way across in sight. Now, I should have taken it as a sign at that stage. I should have turned around while I still had phone signal, waited the hour for the taxi to come and pick me up and avoided the whole affair. But I was still looking forward to the hike. And it's not like I could just bail on Joe and let him down like that. And so I waded across this freezing cold river and changed in front of the newborn lambs on the other side. But... By this time, I was very behind time, and so I pushed on. I'd gone over one valley and was almost at the end of the next when I came across a sign which still chills me to this day. At the entrance to a forest, it said, Department of Forestry, do not enter, danger of death. (laughs) Tree felling in progress. Well, I peered as far as I could into the undergrowth, tried to work out if I could go around it or go over it or go under it, but there was no other way. I had to go through it. And so tentative step after tentative step, I tiptoed through that wood. I've never heard trees make that sort of sound. The... Creaking was so eerie. I could see so many already uprooted, only still standing because they were leaning on their still living brothers. (laughs) Unfortunately, after what seemed like an age, I saw a tunnel of light at the end of this Jenga tower around me. But as I stepped out into the late afternoon sunshine, I was met by a scene of absolute desolation. They'd already felled an entire hillside. I don't know if you've ever put your weight on a two-foot pile of dead wood, but you just go straight through it. It doesn't support your weight. And if you get something twisted, something stuck, there's no one around to save you. There's no phone signal. I remember seeing exactly this scene a decade earlier And my scout leader saying, that's how people die on a lovely little Sunday afternoon hike. (laughs) But I couldn't let Joe down, couldn't let Kara down. I had promised my best friend that I was going to help him out and I was not about to give up on that mission. I contemplated going back. I'm not going to lie, but behind was just as scary as in front, and I could not make it back to the road in time to call a taxi, and so, tentative step after tentative step, I made my way through that shattered valley. By the time I got to the other side, I was so far behind time, uh, a bit like the story, so I can't (laughs) pause to tell you about all the other things that happened, the path that actually turned out to be a BMX track, uh, the 
all the paths which were deliberately obfuscated by Welsh farmers, public footpaths, or the fact that, uh, running late, I almost sprinted off the side of a hillside and into a 300-foot-deep quarry. <laughs> by the time I had the Airbnb in sight, I had maybe 15 minutes. Joe and Cara were already leaving the restaurant. I don't know if you've ever tried to light, like, 40 candles with your hand like this, but it's pretty hard. <laughs> Especially with the B&B owner standing behind you, propped up against the doorway, going, Oh, yeah, we've had loads of people get engaged here. You should have told us about this before. We'd have done it all for you. <laughs> But when I stepped back and surveyed the scene, I was very proud. I would have said yes. <laughs> and so, with moments to spare, I left the B&B and hid in a bush as Joe and Cara <laughs> pulled into the driveway before making my escape a couple more miles up the road to the pub I was staying at and the most anticipated pint of my life. <laughs> and it was all worth it. She said yes. I was the best man at their lockdown wedding a year later. Mission complete. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. How does it sound hearing your story back after quite a few months? Honestly, I forgot how funny it is. Like to, to <laughs> It's so funny. To me, like, obviously, when I tell the story, you want to heighten up that humor. But whenever I think of the story, I still think of all of the hardship and stuff that actually went into it. And so, yeah, hearing that back, it's like, wow, yeah, actually take a step back. And it's, it's pretty amusing. <laughs> it's pretty amusing. But like living through it, you must have been so scared. I mean, these moments were actually fairly life-threatening. Yeah, certainly the the bit where I, I was going through the forest and then coming out of the forest and, you know, sort of like into this already felled hillside. That that bit was the bit where it triggered that part of my brain where I was just like, oh no, I, I have seen this before. I do know how bad it is. And up to that point, it was nuisance and stuff I needed to get through. But at that point, it was actually pretty scary. Yeah, absolutely. Because, and I loved how you used that mechanism of taking us back to your scouting days. You had seen this before and you did know what the risk was. And I'm wondering, did you grow up in the countryside? So I didn't grow up in the countryside, um, not that far from it, like right on the outskirts of town. But I did a lot of outdoors activities. I was a beaver, cub, scout, explorer scout, and then an explorer scout leader. So I really like spent a large portion of my childhood outdoors, hiking, camping. Yeah, I can tell because you and I have a different approach to this type of risk, the natural world, because I definitely would have been, okay, I'll wait the hour for the, <laughs> for the taxi or convince someone, charm someone into driving me. But you're like, no, I got this. I'm going to do this hike. And I'm just wondering about your own sense of adventure or risk or is this just typical for you? You're like, I'll figure this out. I think that when I set myself a goal, I'm pretty stubborn about it. You know, I had it in my mind that, oh, this is just a little setback, a little setback until you're in too deep. And right. then suddenly, oh, it's too late to turn around it's and go no back. It's no safer to go back. Exactly. Right. That's what you said in the story, which really rang true. It did feel like you were in the middle of it, quite literally. Mm. What about this friendship? This seems like a really important friendship with the other Joe, your sort of doppelganger. I mean, you had so much in common, obviously such good friends. What a stand-up guy. So this is a pretty important friendship, obviously. 
It, it really is, yeah. And when I was saying, oh, I can't let Joe down, that was the overriding feeling that was keeping me going through all of this. I'd said that we'll be set up by a time and I wasn't in contact with him. I didn't have any phone signal. So really, there was no way that I could let him know what was going on. And can you imagine if he had to propose with no rose petals and I no know. candles? It would have been a disaster. <laughs> can you imagine if he had to propose with his best friend dead in a forest? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> it might have put a damper on things, you know, I, I think she probably still would have said yes. <laughs> so, Joe, you're so good with words. Like, this is a beautifully written and told story. I'm wondering, did you grow up around words and stories? Is your family very story-oriented? Yeah. One of my fondest childhood memories is before we'd go to bed every night, we would all go into dad's study and we'd all sit around and he'd read us a chapter or two out of a book. So yeah, it was always around stories, always around poetry. And yeah, I think I've just carried that forward, really. That sounds so idyllic. But then you still ended up going into, I think, math and physics. I went into maths and physics, but I think that actually when people think of maths and physics, they think of something like very rigid and structured and logical. And while often that is true, I think there's also like a large amount of creativity in coming up with solutions, coming up with proofs, ways to tackle a problem. I really, I'm a software engineer now, and I feel like that's actually a very creative profession a lot of the time. I don't think they're as black and white as, as people make out the sort of creative and non-creative, the English and the maths. That's such a good point, because I think there is certainly a big stereotype or people will oversimplify the idea of these different fields. But it's nice to see when someone has talent in both. And I was just wondering, in terms of this specific story, what was mm. your process in putting it together? Putting together this story, I think, was actually pretty tricky. Because if I were to tell the whole thing in the way that I told it, it could easily go on for 20 minutes. And when I'm sort of like sitting around with a group of friends and telling the story, it does go on for 20, 25 minutes. So really, the problem with putting it together was uh, cutting it down and deciding what to tell, what not to tell. When I'm telling it with friends, obviously they already know about Joe, so I don't need to tell them as much of that. And it's gone through many iterations. You know, do I just tell it all in exactly this style? There was a version of the story where I tell it like we're going on a bear hunt and, you know, really do incorporate that. Can't go around it, can't go over it at every single stage of the story. So it's been through many iterations. A lot of times when we're working with storytellers, either in workshops or one-on-one, they're utterly convinced there is no way they can tell their story in six or eight minutes. No way. Because they're so full of all the detail themselves and they can't figure out how to pick the moments, the little scenes, or what kind of summary to like give the audience. How did you figure that out? How did you figure out how you could give so much backstory in such an economical way? Really, it was just trying it many different ways. You know, I thought of the many things that happened in the story and then picked out, okay, what are the two or three things that I really need to delve into here? Um, so we need the river scene, you know, we need the forest scene, we need the hillside scene. And okay, that's brilliant. I'm going to allow myself those and nothing more and really working out what's the priority and I just don't have time for the others. And then trying to, to word it in a way that that all still fits together. I think the choice to give us the quick summary of the BMX trail, the Welsh farmers obfuscating the public pathways, <laughs> yes. and then nearly going over the cliff into the quarry. I think you chose really well because those half sentence summaries are really vivid and doing them one, two, three really gives us a sense that this was quite the trial. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, it was one thing that struck me when I initially tried to write it in six minutes is if I did try to include, you know, a few sentences about everything, it was very this and then this and then this and then this. And it felt more like a list, more like I was sort of bullet points. This is what happens to me rather than this is what I felt while it was happening to me. Because if I included everything, you don't have the time for the things which make a story actually interesting. That's such an excellent point. Could you please come to our next workshop and help everyone else understand that? (laughs) I'm still understanding it myself. I know, know. but you make an excellent point, which is it's the mix of having scenes or events that a person can experience, re-experience with you as compared to the bullet point, you gave us a few bullet points, but Mm. it was that mix. That sort of having both, I think, is what makes it work so well. Uh, Particularly with the quarry one, you know, that's another thing where I could have gone into huge amounts of detail and one where I really wanted to. Tell me about the quarry. I must hear about this. Oh, So actually, this is something which I, again, completely forgot to mention is that I was using my phone as a route map and I sort of like got almost towards the end of the hike and was just coming down into the final valley. And it completely shut off. Like it's never done it before, never done it since. It wasn't out of battery. It just didn't turn on. Um, Oh my gosh. And so I spent a few minutes fiddling with it and, you know, massively behind schedule, just thought, you know what? I know I need to be down in that valley somewhere. I'm just going to run down this hill into the valley. And I remember distinctly sort of running down this hill and looking to my left and just seeing a bunch of sheep watching me from far off into the distance quizzically. Like I can picture this as clear as day. And then as I stopped looking over to my left and suddenly looked forward, suddenly there's a quarry like right there, probably like 10 meters, 15 meters, something further down. So at that point, I sort of collected myself. (laughs) (laughs) realized, okay, calm down, chill a bit and, you know, take things more steady. Like you can't run if you're dead. (laughs) (laughs) Life lessons from Joe's hikes. (laughs) I think that um, you've given us some really excellent techniques in this story. I love the way you start us right in the action, like you're right in the river. Yeah, that's the immediate instance where you need to like grab someone, right? You need to like say, okay, this is worth listening to. And that was the point in the story where when I was living it, I caught myself thinking, what am I doing? So it was the natural sort of point to start for me. I also love the details, like the fact that you were toweling off in front of the newborn baby lambs. I mean, (laughs) this type of detail is so brilliant because it really puts us in that moment. But your opening line is this really excellent example of establishing intrigue because it doesn't just put us in the action. It also makes us really curious. How did you get Mm. there? So then you're able to go backward and give us the backstory about your friendship with Joe that Mm. propelled this whole thing. And it lets us just calm down and know that there's something really interesting going to happen, but you have to let us know why this relationship, why this friendship is so important. And I think sometimes storytellers will just start with the backstory. So it was first year orientation and I saw a nice looking chap across the room or something like that. And I think that example is an excellent one for other storytellers to consider. Like how do you grab someone's attention and make them interested to piece together the puzzle of how did Joe end up in the river? Yeah. And that's actually something that I realized listening back to my story is, yeah, you've sort of got the 
retrospective back to the back of the New York cab, but then even further back to university. And very quickly within a couple of sentences, you sort of like jump through the years, like out of university and then out of the cab, and then suddenly you're back in the action. And it really sort of gives you that momentum to like propel from the past into the future. And okay, what comes next? I'm in the river. What what happens next? You also appear really comfortable on stage. Like you have great comedic timing. Like, do you have any training? Is this natural for you? Tell us the story of Joe on stage. Oh, um, I think Joe on stage has just become less okay with it as he's got older, weirdly. So at school, I did a lot of like public speaking and things like that. And I found myself really good so long as I knew exactly what I was going to say. And so that's always been my strategy of Joe on stage. You know, I, yeah, I can like get up and I can say lines or I can act as long as I know what I'm going to do. And the way I pictured this was it's very much an act. You want to like really play up that amusing side of it. Um, some people, they can just get up there and just tell it. I, I can't. I need to rehearse that spontaneity. I need to rehearse exactly what I'm going to say. And so that's what I did. Just tell myself the story in the mirror five times a day for a week and, and you get it. It looked like you were having fun. Were you? <laughs> were you having fun in the moment? Um, I think towards the end of the story, I was. At the start of the story where I'm really trying to like establish this friendship with me and Joe, it's sort of I'm asking the audience to believe it a bit more. Whereas later when you're sort of like telling the funny stuff, then you can hear they're laughing. Obviously, they're buying it. But when you're sort of like asking them to believe this thing early in the story, that was less comfortable and it became more comfortable later as you get that feedback. Could you tell this story for no laughs and just like what it felt like? Would it work, do you think? I think it would work. I I, I do think you would want those moments of levity still. You'd still want to change in front of the newborn lambs and, yeah. and stuff like that. That was before it got really bad. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I, I think it would be tricky though. You'd need to really sort of make it, I think, less about the scary side of things and maybe more about my stubborn nature and the fact that I had to go through this and it was an ordeal. So maybe downplay the scariness and upplay the ordeal of it. Maybe that would be a way of telling it, although I've never tried. I would think so. And then the stubbornness, is this a trait that's been a lifelong? trait like the persistence the pushing yourself to keep going is that a very much part of your life your day-to-day yeah i think it is i'm stubborn with myself i wouldn't like to think i'm stubborn with other people but maybe my friends would disagree (laughs) well that's joe (laughs) (laughs) but yeah if i set myself a target if i set myself a goal then yeah i'm pretty like stubborn about reaching it and you know don't want to let myself off the hook that easily and you must have had some sense that you could do this, that you would, in fact, get through this? I mean, I've been on not worse hikes than this, to be honest. <laughs> you know, this this was absolutely the worst one I've ever been on. But, you know, at the time when I was sort of getting into it, I was like, oh, well, I've done really bad hikes before. And guess what? You always make it. You just put one foot in front of the other and, you know, slowly and surely you will get there. Joe, I and everyone really loved this story and would love nothing more than to hear more stories from you. If you were going to tell another story, is there anything that pops to your mind? There isn't anything that immediately comes to mind. I have to be honest. I'd have to root around and try and find one. Like, I think you really have a gift and figuring out how to find material in the day to day, because I think you have a really nice way of bringing it to life. Mm -hmm. So even if it doesn't feel like a thing that's happening rises to the level of the near death experience of the ultimate hike, I really would love to hear you talk about just about anything. 
I'd love to be able to more easily. I feel like I've got a lot of little vignettes about all oh, the time that I did this or the time that I did that, but they don't cohesively fit together into a story as a whole. And so I'd I, love to be able to do yeah, that. <laughs> well, can I give you, just in terms of when I'm working with people and they're trying to find their story, mm. we usually talk a lot about the things that have changed them the most. And sometimes it's an experience or sometimes it's a theme. And it could be like three difficult relationships I had or three times I really struggled at work or you know whatever it might be, mm. but things that sort of drove change maybe things that were very frustrating, things that were just for whatever reason, challenging or difficult, but that resulted in change. Because I think if you figured out anything that's allowed your life and your style and your way of being Mm. in the world to evolve and figure out what along that process has been challenging, I bet you would find gold there that you could bring alive in a story. That's an interesting. Yeah, I'm going to go away and think about it now. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and for coming and chatting. It's been really nice to catch up. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information about today's storyteller and conversation, check out the show notes. The True Story London podcast is hosted by me, Michelle Toth. Our producer is Ellis Ballard. Our theme music is by Sea Noise. Live recordings were provided by Laughing Around and recorded at 21 Soho. More information about our live shows and workshops can be found at truestorylondon.com. And just one more thing. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. It really does help us to reach more people. Thanks, and we'll see you for another episode soon.